Welcome to a ride on the outside. MMA is full of people on the inside, but what about the ones that watch from beyond? Welcome to the MMA Outsiders with Tom Albano and Zan Bando on the Empty the Bench Podcast Network. Ghosts, ghouls, goblins, come gather around. It is a hollow, wicked edition of the MMA Outsiders. Tom Albano here, along with Zambando, to my... Oh, I gotta get used to this, to my left. You're on the left side today. We decided to switch things up with it being, you know, all Hallow's Eve and everything spooky and scary. And, well, Zan, I think the combat sports world is a little scary right now, considering, well... What happened this past weekend? What happened yesterday? Uh, yeah, the you know when the when the moon shines in as it did yesterday, it can be complete chaos. Yeah, it can be complete chaos. And as we've said a million times on this show by now, every single week something new pops up. When you and I do these show rundowns uh, shortly after an episode airs, we kind of have a rough idea as to what we'd be talking about the very next week. But we always know we have to wait until the weekend to really figure out what the meat and potatoes. Yeah, or we're not even going to Thanksgiving yet, and I'm using a meat and potatoes reference. What the, <laughs> what the, the uh, Reese's peanut butter cups and the Kit Kats. Yeah, there you go. If you want to make it more Halloween-centric, but none, nonetheless... Um, we always have to wait until the weekend to find out what, what the bulk of it is that we're going to be talking about. And that bulk um, is exactly what you think it is. The fight that everybody's talking about took place in Saudi Arabia over the weekend. You they saw um, a video about it and so much more. But before we get into what all of that was, be sure to like and subscribe. Be sure to follow the Empty the Bench Podcast Network across social media at ETV Network. Be sure to follow... The MMA Outsiders across social media at MMA Outsiders ETB. As Tom alluded to just a second ago, we've switched things up today. So, uh, so I'm Zan Endo sitting to your left. You can find my work over at BJPenda.com and on Sundays over at MMA Knockout. It's part of the Fan Nation Sports Illustrated umbrella. And, of course, I am still a ultra-rankings panelist, which, unfortunately, we're going to get into this in a little bit. It's probably not. Not going to be for too much longer, so I'm a little sad that an error is coming to an end. And and of course, Thomas to my right, you can find his work over at Fan Side of the MMA, and you, you can find all of his other fight centric stuff over on the PFL website as he is gearing up for the PFL Championships taking place in Washington D.C. Thanksgiving weekend. So keep it locked in to PFL.com for all the live results and happenings of the championships. And so much more. But getting back to the present, it's Halloween morning time. And uh, fortunately or unfortunately, no matter how you look at it, it was a it was a spooky weekend. And the spookiness happened all the way over on the other side of the world during the day in the United States. For those of you who have been living under a rock by now, oh, this might be breaking news. Uh, for those of you who have lived under a rock, you probably know this by now. Yeah, but- if you're if you're living under a rock. If you are living under a really hard piece of candy, uh, I don't know 
you know, how you can when this has been the firestorm of all things combat sports social media. This heavyweight fight between Tyson Fury and Francis Ngannou in the boxing ring, which Fury ended up getting the win in. Uh, and it caused a uh, bleep storm on social media. Yeah, Tom, I don't think this was the biggest thing in combat sports that happened this weekend. This might have been the biggest thing that happened in sports this weekend. And that's saying a lot considering that we have the World Series going on concurrently uh, at the moment, too, for those of you who follow Major League Baseball. But nonetheless, um, over the weekend, it was the spectacle. It was the fight that everyone was curious about. WBC heavyweight champion Tyson Fury took on the former UFC heavyweight champion who I criticized on his very program that Francis Ngannou had made a mistake by walking away from his UFC heavyweight championship. I am here. I have had, let's see, six or seven months to process this. I would like to come on this program this morning and publicly apologize to Francis Ngannou if he is watching this and say that on behalf of myself and on behalf of the MMA community who gave you no chance to win this fight, I, I I am incredibly apologetic, and, and as a MMA consumer, I think you and I can both agree that anyone and everyone who's an MMA fan that watched this fight, that even cared for a second about this fight, should be very proud of the way Francis Ngana performed. You want to talk about a guy that, you know, has no boxing experience whatsoever, hadn't fought in over a year and a half his, his last fight. Most of the two years. Yeah. It was, it was around closer to two years. Wasn't it, it wasn't near the 18-month mark or something like that? January, the, he hadn't fought since his defense against Gon, uh, Cyril Gon in January 2022. I think that was I think that was UFC 270. Yeah, that sounds right. Mm-hmm. But yeah, so that was the last time Francis Ngannou fought, and uh, no one knew how he was going to look against uh, the baddest man on the planet, and... Um, I'll say this, for the first time since I started watching Tyson Fury, um, he's actually human. And since Ninganu made him, made him look human, and he really did take the fight to Fury in a way that I don't think a lot of people expected. Uh, um, and, and, as, um, and as you saw, if you, if you ended up seeing the fight, uh, mm -hmm. Round three was where things really turned, and that's when Francis Ngannou got the knockdown hurt all around the world, and I think is what really changed the fortunes um, of that fight. Truly, Tom, this did not feel like one of these wacky crossover kind of fights. This felt like a real fight where you didn't know what was going to happen, and it, it just felt like the stakes were so huge, even though Francis Ngannou was making his professional boxing debut and did not have any prior boxing experience at any level prior to uh with this fight. So I just want and to say the title overall, wasn't on the line. Right. And the title wasn't on the line. So overall, I was just really impressed with the way he fought. Um I, I thought he gave Fury everything um in the kitchen sink. It just it didn't play out on the scorecards um in in a way in which he would have liked. And truly this is one of those fights where I'll always remember where I was and I can always say that uh, I can always say that I was mesmerized when Fury hit the canvas for the first time because it's one of those moments where you you look back on other sporting events that are upsets 
um, in, in, in your lifetime or just around sports history where you, you, you couldn't believe what you saw. And, um, and I guess a, a great way to put it would be when, when Francis knocked Fury to the ground, um, I think anyone and everyone, whether they're a casual boxing observer, a hardcore boxing fan, or someone who just knew the names of these two fighters, um, the, 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 there was no way that you couldn't walk, Touch that knockdown and not just be in disbelief of what was taking place. Oh, oh, my jaw dropped, Zim. My jaw dropped. And it's not a matter of, I want everybody to understand this. The reason some people, you know, didn't give Francis Ngannou a shot, were there people in the MMA community who were being real BSy because of the way he parted ways with the UFC? Yeah, but you forget something. This man was the former heavyweight champion of the world. This man has one of the strongest punches recorded in human history. He has a lot of power and force behind his punches. The reason, Zan, and my jaw did drop even though I knew all of that. And the reason that is is because so few people have done that to Tyson Fury. I think he's only been down... Four or five times, I think, or six times, seven broadcasts, and half of those, Zan. Seven. Half of seven. What? Seven. seven. Okay. But I was going to say, half of those, Zan, if I'm not mistaken, were wilder in the th- in the combined three fights that they had. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Oh, so, yeah. At least he's tapped. If you were to guess, it would be at least three out of the seven or something had to be against him. Yeah. 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 So, so that means only then. Four, four people or so, maybe even three, have done that prior to Nganu doing that. And not on as big of a stage as Nganu did it. And I think the reason not many people are giving him a chance in, if, if they were smart and not BSE, uh, salty UFC fans, it was a matter of that, I think back to that Floyd Connor fight, Sam. And they even talked about it in the aftermath that boxing is a different sport in terms of the pacing. With MMA, it's fewer rounds, but you're fighting in there for a little longer periods of time. Boxing fights, Zan, is like interval training. It's three hard minutes, minute of rest, three hard minutes, minute of rest. So it's shorter shorter rounds, but you're also competing in more rounds and a more cumulative time in, in terms of the maximum time you can be in the ring as compared to an MMA fight. For sure. And I think that, you know, you, you just, you just bringing that up. That's probably one thing that people didn't think going into the fight. Oh, was Francis going to struggle with that? And it's obvious that as the fight was, was I think he did. Forward, um, and he, the, and he did start to struggle with that, where he realized, "Oh, this is no longer an MMA, an MMA fight. I'm in a real, I'm in a real boxing match, and I have to pace myself." Which, yeah, and then, which because, I think he, I think he slowed down. But then on the other side of the coin, too, he continued to fight well. There, there wasn't a single point in the fight where I felt like, "Oh, he's totally lost where, where he, where he is." Agreed, agreed. But and I think this is why some of the judges were. The way they were because he struggled to pace himself a little bit and because maybe he was looking for more power that fury had the cleaner 
technique, cleaner boxing technique, and the cleaner shots, even though Ngannou was doing more damage. Right. So, what? which, again, and on the MMA side of things, obviously this is boxing side, but on the MMA side of things, why I think the 10-point must system that the unified rules of MMA promotes is a terrible system for MMA scoring. I think promotions like Pride and Ryzen get it right with the global set. You know, the, uh, the they just fight and then the judges pick who won the fight. Yeah, I mean, I don't think there's any hardcore MMA consumer that would disagree with you about that. Um, but I, I took some notes uh, for that fight as I was watching it. Round one, I think, could have been the big toss-up round that decided things because it was the feel-out round. I think Fury did a very good job in trying to back Francis up and trying to take control right away. And Ganu wasn't letting up, but I think Fury's aggression definitely helped him there. Uh, I think Nganu did a really good job in round two by busting open Fury a little bit, landing a sharp uppercut and countering, uh, cornering Fury and countering his clinching techniques. Obviously, round three, the 10 8 round because Fury landed, I mean, Nganu knocked down Fury. Uh, but then, as you kind of alluded to, Zan, um, Fury started to come back a little round four and round five, and this is where Nganu really began to slow down a bit. And the whole fight's pace really slowed down. And, you know, you can say what you want about the ESPN commentary team, bias, no bias. I think they were right when they said the longer this fight goes and the slower the fight goes, the more, the more it benefits Tyson Fury. Over the course of, the th- of about four rounds, after that third round, I think... That did, as you kind of alluded to, that did Nganu in a little bit. Although, as you said, Nganu definitely was still fighting. And he actually, I think, uh, yeah, my scorecards, I had him winning two of the last three rounds. Because at that point, in the latter, in the last round, Zan, last three rounds, I think Fury was the one who slowed down. And Nganu, you could see, connect a lot more on the inside. He just couldn't drop Fury again. I think that's all that made the difference. If, if he had made another knockdown of Fury, I think we were looking at a different fight. Okay, so let's talk about that then. So obviously, as we've alluded to, the knockdown in round three happened. That's where kind of the, the turning point in the fight began. So I'm just curious. Um, we're, we're obviously not judges here, but... Um, when My scorecard... You know, well, oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna, I'm gonna get to that in a second. What I want, what I want to ask you is, I was looking at round by round the, um, the, the punch totals between both fighters, and it seemed like Fury was was able to win most of the rounds based on the number of punches landed compared to Francis. Do you think that that factored into, um, into two of the judges scoring it for Fury or? You think they weren't looking at it as holistically as, I, as that? I could see it. I could honestly see it. Like I told you, though, Zan, I think what did it in for me was the fact that the for three, at least three, if not four rounds after that knockdown, Ngannou's pace slowed and the whole fight's pace slowed, which I think, I think if Ngannou you know, had paced himself a little better, as you kind of alluded to before, I think he definitely would have given himself a better shot at 
at getting a draw, if not winning. So I don't know about you, but I would say round five is when um, I would say round five, six, seven is seven and eight is when you started to see Ningano kind of go uphill and not as free spirited as, as he was in round one, one through three. That's at least how I saw it. And then, yeah. and then round 10, you could tell that he gave everything he had. He just knew that he was running out of time. Um, but yeah, yeah, definitely. All, all, all I can say, the, the, the craziest thing I can say is to see the betting odds, courtesy of DraftKings, go from Francis Ngannou plus 750 at close. I think it was 750 or 850 at close. All the way mm-hmm. to minus 150 going into round eight is something I never thought I would say on on this podcast. It's unbelievable to think how crazy one knockdown swayed the the wide betting lines entirely, which to me was the most fascinating part of the fight that wasn't covered as extensively as I thought uh, it was going to be. Absolutely, but that's that's the real teller, that Francis Ngannou went from a major underdog to when the live bet happened for the last round, he was a favorite. It's unreal what Francis Ngannou has done. Um, now that being said, Zan, I guess let's talk about the scoring. So obviously a lot of backlash, a lot of backlash for what happened. A lot of the MMA community calling BS, a lot of people crying corruption and boxing again because of how the scorecard played out. Um, I'm about to put myself in the fire. Okay. I had the score 95 to 94 for Fury. I gave I'll go I'll go through round by round right now. I gave ultimately the the uh, round one, which I said with everything came down to. I think Fury's aggression won me over in that, so I gave that to him. I gave okay. Ngannou the second, and Ngannou obviously had the 10-8 in the third. I gave four to seven to Fury. I gave eight to Ngannou, nine to Fury, ten to Ngannou. So I had 95. I had 95-94 for Fury. So I, I, what was your scorecard? Um, I mean, I didn't score it as uh, specifically as you did, but uh, but watching it as holistically as I did, there's no way. There's no way you can watch that fight and tell me that, um. Unless you had it either way, 95-94 for either fighter, your scorecard is wrong. So, let, me just, let me just put it as, as bluntly as I can. There's no way you can tell me that you watch that fight and you tell me that 96-93 that, that was the correct card. That is, that, is, that is crazy to me. Yeah, so let me, let me explain. To everyone, I, I kind of agreed with you, Zan, in the video that you posted in the immediate aftermath. To everyone who has cried out robbery, and Zan, I know that plenty of people did, not only because I was watching social media, but Zan, we actually put up a poll. We put up a poll, and we asked, did Tyson Fury deserve to win against Francis Ngannou? Was it a robbery? And this was on X, and I gave three options. Yes, Fury deserved the win. No, but not a robbery. Or no, Francis was robbed. 69%. And I'm not I'm not saying that's for, for meme or to be funny. 
69% said Francis was robbed. 17% said no, but a but not a robbery. And 14% said yes, Fury deserved the win. I want to address those 69% right now. I want you... I want you to go into the vault. And I want you to look up... Zan, a, a fight that we mentioned last week because we were talking about the light heavyweight division of the UFC. Uh... Leona Machida versus Mauricio Shogun Rua won. Because that, that was a robbery. I want you to watch George St. Pierre versus Johnny Hendricks. That was a robbery. What this Fury and Ganu fight was, was not a robbery. Like you said, I could have, if you told me 90, it was no, I had a 95-94 in Ganu, guess what? I'm not going to argue with you because like I said, that first round, Maybe one of the last rounds could have gone either way. So you I know scored, what? I, I I scored it for Fury, but okay. But I but I'll admit, I'll admit, if they had given the fight to Ninganu ninety five ninety four, I would have said okay. That 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 makes that's a fine scorecard. Mm-hmm. And Zan, like I kind of alluded to, since I had it ninety five ninety four, because you considered a ten eight. If Ninganu had dropped him one more time, Ninganu the fight would have been a draw on my scorecard. Right, either either it's a draw or depending on how you score one of the early runs, Ninganu win, wins the fight. Uh, right. Outright. So it is not a robbery in that regard. Now, here's what I will say. I think all three judges did get it wrong. Because first of all, as you kind of alluded to, Zan, the 96-93... Where did Fury win seven rounds? When did Fury win most of the rounds? Because I mean, obviously, a 6-4, he would have won most rounds. But that overwhelming? No. Absolutely not. No, I mean, I mean the most, the, the, the rounds where he was the most overwhelming were probably five through, five through eight, roughly. Probably. And I'm trying to bring up now on, I think it's MMA fighting, the official... Scorecards. Uh, okay, so okay, so it's from Michael Benson on Twitter. They hyperlinked to that. So give me a second to get that up. By, um, the, way, I, by the way, I disagree with you. I'm going to honor you and disagree with you and say that I don't think Machida versus Shogun won was robbery. I actually scored the fight three two for Machida. I thought I thought they I thought they got it right because I'm going to tell you why. Even the Oh, this fight's super old, and we probably shouldn't be talking about it. Tom, leg kicks do leg kicks do not win you a championship fight. That's all. That's all I can say. Okay, but Zan, then I'll throw in some other examples. How about okay. you know? You know, we talk about the undisputed heavyweight championship. We'll talk about that in a little bit. Lewis versus Holyfield one being declared a draw. That was a little bit of a head scratcher. Uh, Pernell, what's it? Pernell Whitaker was in a couple of head scratchers. Uh, Roy Jones Jr. at the, was it the '88 games? I think the '88 so, Olympics. The one, that the one, was a robbery and a half. The one, the one, the one I was going to mention was Mayweather versus Maidana. One, I scored it. I scored. That I, was I, a robbery. Yes, I scored it. I scored it for Marcus Maidana. And that and, was that's and, a robbery. 
And then I and then I think going back to May, I scored I scored it for Lomachenko over Haney. All right. So, anyways, here's the scorecard, by the way, Zan. So okay. the judge who scored 96-93 for Fury, Mr. I think it was Payao. Uh he awarded round he for Nganu, he awarded the 10 8 in round three. He awarded round two and he awarded round eight. How did he scored round 10 for Fury. I have no idea because Nganu emptied the tank and I think was landing some pretty solid shots. So, I mean, maybe that's a toss-up round, but I I could have sworn Nganu really had the 10th. I thought, I thought so, too. And then, Zen, but even more head-scratchingly, the two guys who had 95-94 scorecards, one for Fury, one for Nganu, they both gave round two. The round in which Fury got opened up a little bit above his eye with an uppercut to Fury. It's crazy. You could be the newest boxing fan in the world, and you couldn't tell me that that Fury won round two. There, there's no, there's no way. So that's like, I, that's like saying an NFL equivalent of 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 an incomplete pass is it is is it being a catch that decides the end of a that decides the end of a game. Yeah. So I want to say, you know, this fight was not a robbery. At the same time, all three judges in one way or another did something head scratching in this who fight. Are the, who are the other two judges besides Payo? Uh, one was Garner. And then the other one, I can't tell who the name. Yeah. And Garner has been around a long time too. So that's a, okay. Is, is he uh, the one who scored it for Fury or Francis? Okay, I, I, I figured out the text. So, Juan Carlos Pelau was 96-93. Alan Krebs had 95-94 Fury. Ed Garner, 95-94 in Ghana. Wasn't, it was based in the UK, so of course he would score the fight it for Fury. That kind of that kind of makes, that kind of makes logical sense to me. You you knew that if there was going to be one scorecard, that was going to be that was going to be his. And then of course, as we always go. say, for every big fight, boxing gets in its own way. And sure enough, the same thing happened um, here as well. This is not related to the fight at all, but I have to ask you this question: um, the okay. way ESPN, the way ESPN broadcasted the fight, and from a production standpoint, did you? Did you think the entire telecast was a little bit over the top or, or no? Oh my god, it was ridiculous. <laughs> Zan, I felt I felt like I was watching that Tyson pay-per-view from a few years ago during COVID time. Uh it was Tyson Roy Jones where they had all the concerts <laughs> in the middle. They had Jake Paul they had Jake Paul fighting um Nate Robinson with Snoop Dogg on commentary. And I felt like I, I, I remember watching that pay-per-view and feeling like I had just taken one of Snoop Dogg's blunts because I was like, what the hell is going on here? What did you what did you think of the performance before the walkouts? And what what did you I muted it? <laughs> I muted it to do other things. What did what did you think of the walkouts? Th- themselves did you think did you think they were cool i th- oh i thought the walkouts were cool except the, when when ninganu walked out to drake i said he just lost <laughs> yeah geez I, I i i guess you could say the curse continues though mm-hmm. the curse exactly continues um but then uh 
you know, it, it was an absolute joke. And we'll talk about the UFC as it connects with this fight. But I think if there's one thing, you know, I don't know if you saw John Anik's tweet where he gave respect to Fury, but, you know, I, I don't know how you felt about the snide comment. I, mean, I say snide, but afterwards. But you know what? I think he has a point when he says it was also a victory in UFC in that. I think if there's one thing Dana is right about is that the UFC, and this not doesn't just go for this boxing telecast, the PFL, the, the UFC has the best pacing of anybody. Of course. Of course. It's clean. It's crisp. It's concise. You know, instantly when it hits 10 p.m. for you, 9 p.m. for me, the pay-per-view is always going to start the same way. You always know that you're going to get fight after fight after fight with very little filler. Yeah, he he definitely he definitely has a point. Um, but that being said, there are some other talking points we could get into here, Zan. So, I mean, let's talk about the future of Francis Ngannou. Could because now there are theories out there, Zan, and I know ESPN published a story about it. The Score published a story about it. Obviously, Ngannou has that big mega contract with the PFL as part of its super fight division. The expectation was he was going to start in 2024, pay-per-view to be determined, fight to be determined. But now, after his performance here, Zan, could you see Francis Ngannou sticking with boxing and just abandoning MMA together? Yeah, I, I, I could. It's just a matter of, will the PFL let it happen? Because, as I'm seeing on social media, when the PFL is congratulating him on his performance, they're referencing him in every post as a PFL fighter when he's yet to compete in the promotion. So, that, that, and that's the thing, Zan. I mean, I mean, I could see it, but you consider the bag. No, no play on words intended, but the bag that the PFL gave to him about the guaranteed money in every fight, about being part of the pay-per-view super fight division, getting a certain percent, how a certain fighter may, you know, his opponent won't make less than a certain amount, how they're allowing him to compete in boxing, the fact that he's heading up the PFL Africa. I think it's really hard for him to not compete in MMA with that kind of contract. Yeah, that's for sure. I mean, when you think about it, he um, he made ten million just for, just for stepping in the ring, which is damn impressive. I think there's millions of people around the world that wish they could step into a boxing ring for for uh, for, for, for against, 30, against for, Tyson Fury, though. <laughs> yeah, I mean, geez, but yeah, I mean, it, it definitely is hard to say. Um, I mean, I think he's gonna, you know. I think he's going to stick to MMA at heart because that is what he knows. But I do think there's another side to it where if the right fight isn't there, he's not going to push it any further. And I don't know if you've seen on social media, but now it seems like everyone wants to see this 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 reincarnated fight between Jones and Francis, which we know probably will never happen because Dana right. can't stand co-promotion. But Twitter is buzzing about because now Francis is the biggest thing in combat sports again. Oh, right. It, well, I mean, not it, just it, him. It, not just social media lighting up. Don Davis is also lighting up, taking shots at Dane at the and Jones at the on the MMA hour, basically saying, "Well, come on, prove it. Let's make this happen." Yeah, yeah. 
And uh, you, you want to talk about how big Fedor versus Lesnar would have been? This would be light years above. Uh, that would make that would make Fedor versus Lesnar look stupid. And, and no, and, 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 and no, and no disrespect to that fight. That that fight would have been huge. But you want to talk about the two baddest dudes on the planet? I think a lot of people can say that those two guys are it, whether or not they whether or not they fight each other or they don't. Um, but I can say this: Francis is the first fighter that I've ever seen that is betting on himself and literally changing the the landscape of combat sports forever, whether you whether you like it or not. It's it's pretty yeah. it's it's pretty remarkable to see. So now looking back on all of this, I, I have to ask you: Did Francis Ngannou make the right decision by relinquishing his heavyweight championship and go and, go, and going over to boxing? I think there's still more that needs to play out, and obviously, Zan, I have to be a little bit biased considering, you know, my connections to one PFL. And but, considering, and considering, we might end up being partners again soon, which is kind of funny to to think about. But but yeah, but I'm gonna therefore have to say yes. But even then, Zan, I mean, as of right now, yes, because look, like you said, look who everyone on social media was talking about. Even though he was away from the octagon from MMA for nearly two years, like we said, he was the former heavyweight champion. He had all those highlights, Zan, that stemmed from his soul-crushing knockout of Alistair Overeem. Which I was there for. (laughs) Right, which you were there for. To the fight that won him the heavyweight championship, that rematch with Stipe. Obviously, he's had his low moments. It took him several months before the contract with the PFL came, to which we got really impatient. Uh... I know definitely, Zan, I know you made your apology. I think you did have you did I'm gonna give you credit though. You did have great expectations for Francis at the start of the year when that first broke. It was just a matter of it was just a matter of that it took four months or so before Francis finally got that contract with the PFL. But you consider again all those terms that Francis got from the PFL, combined with that he got this showdown with Tyson Fury. Let alone the fact, Zan, this will be the next part we can talk about. Mauricio Suleiman and the WBC are coming out and saying that there's a chance next month when the WBC updates their rankings, they could put Francis Ngannou in the top 10 to guarantee that if a rematch with Fury happens, it's going to be for a heavyweight championship. You got to consider the, the potential that's there. You know, it's even more than we thought when we were sitting here in January talking about how he left the UFC and relinquished the title. Yeah, that's for sure. So I guess to follow up on that point, do you think the WBC is potentially caving in because they realize how much money is at stake? Or do you think that they're caving in because they know that they can build Francis into being the biggest star that the WBC has ever seen? Zen, it's boxing. What do you think? <laughs> of course, of course, it's about money. <laughs> of course, it's about money. Now that being said, I mean, when you're the former UFC heavyweight champion, put on performance like that against Tyson Fury, who, like I said, few men have knocked down before. I think this is one of those, you know, the purists might fight me, and even the purists in me might begrudgingly say this. 
I say Pierce B. I mean, come on. This isn't like we're talking about Jake Paul being ranked by the WBC, which almost did happen too, by the way. Um, I don't see how there could be too many arguments against it. It's true. I'm going to have uh, a little fun with you for a second. Um, how oh, many no. seconds? How, how how many seconds would you last with Francis Ngannou if you were if you were if you were if you were asked to fight him in the boxing ring? <laughs> <laughs> I would <laughs> I would try my best. I would try to get to a minute, but I don't know. I might just do a lot of, I might pull a Floyd and just dance around the ring. Well, even uh, even. E- even even maybe me helping you in your corner might not even might not even be enough. <laughs> Zan, I'm sure there are some people who would do like um what was his name? FA's opponent, where he just walks out of the ring and up the entrance ramp. No, you no that no that could it, that could very well be a possibility too. Oh, I and I wanted to ask you also as a as as a follow-up to this. If you're another, if you're another fighter in the WBC that's worked his way up for several oh, years, oh, I'm probably pissed. <laughs> <laughs> There's no doubt. I'm probably pissed hearing that. But again, I think I'd rather lose my spot to a former UFC champion, a proven combat sports competitor in Francis Ngannou, than you know the fact, like I said, a few months ago, they were teasing the possibility of Jake Paul being ranked in the WBC rankings. Right, which you and I both opposed wholeheartedly that it shouldn't occur. Yes. Uh, So, Zan, speaking of making the right move, so Francis fumbled the bag, right? (laughs) Um, I'm going to admit it and say no, he he didn't. Because... as I said on my Instagram story the day after, I can officially eat shit now. So, oh, I am, so, so I am, so I am wrong. I, I, I am the, I am the same Ambando that was livid at John Jones versus Francis Ngannou wasn't taking place. And all right, you know what? Let's, you know, well, that was going to be my question, and I, I'll read it word for word. I have on our rundown sheet. Is okay. UFC a big loser now slash regretting parting with Francis after his performance? And you know what? We're going to connect our, our news story segments to this. This broke during last week. We didn't get a chance to do any sort of stream or anything about it. John Jones is out. UFC 295 takes a major, major blow. John Jones tears his peck during a training session. Dan, uh, Zan, Dana had the footage from the gym during the fight announcement that he was the breaking news fight announcement he made where you see him throw punches and you could see him go down in in pain holding his arm and chest you could basically see the moment where jones's pack tears clean off the bone yeah and um here's a message to all the people um that think it's fake my recommendation would be to stay off the internet because is that because that looks like a real gruesome and very painful injury first off this this news woke me up how about how about how about you uh no i was actually i was actually dead asleep and i woke up the next morning i'm like ah crap was i the one was was i the one that told you about it no because i, I forget what i was doing i was probably per 
doing some sort of school assignments or something. And I woke up after passing out doing it. And then I woke up and I see on my phone, you know, John Jones out. I go up, you know, towards the shower. And then I had to do it like, a wait a minute. Like, like you know, you go into the shower, you're not fully awake. Like, wait a minute. Yeah, what? Yeah. yeah. So John Jones, Stipe is not going to be remaining on the card. Uh, they are going to move Giri Prohaska versus Alex Pereira for the vacant light heavyweight title now up to the main event. Yes, this is going to be one of those rare circumstances where the lower weight class is going to be the main event. The reason I say that is because they are going to now bring Sergei Pavlovich and Tom Aspinall in on two weeks' notice to fight in an interim heavyweight title fight. And here's the crazy part, Sam. The UFC still wants to book Jones or Semyochik, and they are willing to wait to 2024, potentially International Fight Week 2024, to make it happen. So, Zan, there is a chance for the next year we could be carrying around with two UFC heavyweight champions. Yeah, this interim title situation seems like the ESPN Plus decision because you and I both know they always want title fights at the top of the card. So I, I think I, yes, I think, but. Uh, Go ahead, go ahead. Okay, but Zan, we're talking about the light heavyweight chip. I mean, we're talking about the heavyweight title, but we're also talking about the light heavyweight title on this card, Zan. The last two light heavyweight champions, we talked about how cursed that belt is. You know, they suffered injuries, Yuri being one of them, and they vacated the title. There are some calls that with Jones being out for as long as he might be, that he should he should basically vacate the championship. I don't think so because isn't the rule that it's supposed to be a year that you're out and then you have to vacate it? If he's if he's only going to be out eight months, he shouldn't relinquish the belt. I mean, opinion. I mean, this isn't going to be a full year for Yuri. The, the fight, the the first light heavyweight title fight, the vacant one was December. So, I think there were fears about a one year. So maybe in that regard, but still, Zan, I think it's kind of ridiculous that we're going to be that there's a chance we could go one year with two heavyweight champions. I, I know there was a period of time where the UFC did have two heavyweight champions following Randy Couture trying to get out of his contract. I think that was to fight. You mentioned him before, Fedor Melianenko. Uh, yeah. but, I, 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 but I think that's a different circumstance because that's a contract legal situation. This is right. an injury. Right. Um. So am I or am I not a genius? Because I actually I accurately predicted that Sergey Pavlovich would fight Tom Aspinall for for a world championship. I just didn't know that it was gonna be this early. <laughs> yeah, I don't think we really I don't think we really expected something like this. Um but yeah, Zen, this when Francis uh news aside, this is a damn blow. So now, you know, we were talking about what happens if Connor doesn't fight in 2023? Well, now neither Connor McGregor or John Jones are going to fight in 2023. For, you know, for as much Zan as a high of a summer that the UFC had, this is this is a bad roller coaster decline. Yeah, and I just thought of this, you know, Madison Square Garden 30 year anniversary, not a single American uh fighter is going to be fighting in the last two fights on the card, which is easy to think about. And Zen, think about all those people that spend six hundred, seven hundred, eight hundred dollars on nosebleed seats. Yeah, they all lost. Yeah, I'm the winner here. 
<laughs> I'm the winner here for once. Yeah, well, maybe you can go to one in Long Island instead. I, I mean, sad. It's sad to say because I. It's sad to say, but the Francis Ngannou Tyson Fury card. Once this news broke, looked a lot more enticing than 295 does right now. Oh yeah, oh yeah. So I guess, I guess another question that I have is why do you think they chose to do Pavlovich versus Aspinall now instead? And it would just like scrap the whole heavyweight idea and just wait this thing out. Do, do, do you think they just really needed a co-main event or, or, a, or like you a, said? I think like you said. I think ESPN Plus decision, and they don't know truly how long Jones is going to be out. Stipe, I mean, I mean, I get it. I talked about how it paid off to wait, but now when they actually fight, it's going to be over three years since we had seen Stipe in the octagon. So. That's true, but as but as Dana alluded to, after what Stipe's done for the division, you don't give him an interim heavyweight title fight. It doesn't make sense. I guess, but I don't know. I don't know what the UFC is thinking. I guess, I guess, like you kind of alluded, desperation. Yeah, which there may even be some desperation for UFC 296, but nothing is official. Just yet, unfortunately or unfortunately. So, right. The, 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 I mean, I and I, and I saw some of your tweets on social media. I do kind of have to disagree because I don't you, like You disagree what? with me? Come on. Are you serious? I you like know, Leon. You know what I like? I like Leon. The flyweight title fight I damn want to see. I damn want to see Pantoja Royval. But Colby Covington getting a title shot. When he hasn't fought in nearly two years, and his last win is against George Masvidal, who isn't even in the UFC anymore, I don't think that makes sense. Hey, I'm not saying I'm not saying I'm not saying that that Colby Covington not being in that that spot doesn't make sense. What I'm what, I, what I'm saying is that when you look at all the other contenders, there's no backstory like Leon Edwards versus Colby Covington to sell. I get it. Again, we've talked about this on the show, the UK versus US angle. But like I but like we kind of alluded to, for a fight like that, I wish we were actually in the UK for. Yeah, that's true, because that fight was supposed to take place in the United Kingdom in July, and the and those plans blew up in smoke. So th- th- there's there's that. But the you know what? Thing- but but I can't say for July, you know, we still got two pay-per-view of the year quality performances in 290 and 291. Oh, for sure. Even though we are kind of a week and a half out from this, what are, what are, what are your early predictions for these new fights? Uh, well, Pernasco versus Pereira was already right. in. Right. in the, it's just now elevated. Um, <laughs> I really don't know. Here's what I know. I know that fight's ending in knockout. I just don't know for who. Okay. I might lean. I might lean to Yuri just because, uh, I, just because I haven't really seen anyone beat him. That's fair. Uh, I'm, my my gut tells me for the moment it could change next week, but my gut for the moment tells me Pereira beats Yuri and Aspinall knocks out uh, Sergey in the third yeah, round. Yeah, yeah. For the co-main event, I will agree with you. I'm going Aspinall. Okay. Well, yeah, it's definitely definitely a wild pay-per-view switch-up for the UFC, and uh, it's one where you might have to spend your money wisely because at this moment, UFC 296 looks a lot better than UFC 295. 
So Zen, for both of those cards, I'm thinking uh actually, you know what? 296 definitely has the better undercard though. You're you are right. So 295 at least looks like one where I might head to my local Buffalo or some or something like that. Might not be a bad idea, but you might want to get it on that ASAP because I feel like everyone will want to go to Buffalo Wild Wings for that one, especially for uh, especially for the Yuri fight. And I think I think a lot of people want to see fireworks, and that would be that would be that would be one fight that I think could draw people into Buffalo Wild Wings for sure. That's not a that's not a an idea. Or you might want to consider going to your local movie theater too. You if you could if if, if one is if one is airing it. But I guess my question, I guess my question compared to in relation to this story, Zan, okay. does the UFC does the UFC have any regrets now knowing what the two ninety five situation, the injury to John Jones is? I'd say no, and the reason why I'd say no is because right now the UFC is too many stars. They're not relying on Francis Ngannou to carry the company. Would Ngannou versus Jones have been the biggest fight the UFC's made in? A decade plus would have done box office numbers. Of course, I'm not disputing that. But what I am saying is, when you still have superstars like Israel Adesanya, even though he's not the champion anymore, when you we still have John Jones, who's the greatest fighter that the UFC's ever seen, and you when you still have several names like Leon Edwards, Kamaru Usman, and Hamza Chamayev, and several other uh, divisions that are just stacked with talent over and over and over again, I, I it, will. Sorry, Zan. I, I will throw a couple of counters out at you, though. Okay. Um, John Jones. We might be his next fight might be his last. Israel Adesanya is, is implying that we're not going to see him again until 2027. I think, uh, I think. I think. I think he's. I think he's saying that, but I don't think he truly believes it. I, I kind of agree with you. I think I kind of alluded, Sam, that if Dana threw him money in a desperation situation as a last-minute fill-in, he'd take it. That's what I think. That's what I think, too. Um, Kamaru, coming off of three straight losses. His star's a little rocked. Um, pa- Pavlovich and Aspinall. The UFC's got to build those guys. I, I don't think they're stars. I think Tom Aspinall is a bigger star than Sergey. Uh, inter, inter, internationally, in my in my in my opinion, for the UK, yes, but I think Aspinall still has more to build. They yeah. still have some work to do. But um, but, but though, but to count to counter you again, the UFC wasn't relying on one fight to 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 be their entire. Fair um, enough. Fair enough. That the, the we know the UFC machine. I know where you go. We know the UFC machine. Just roll. Keep us on rolling. It doesn't matter. Right. Although, although I think, I think it would have been, and, and they say this for every major UFC fight now, but I truly believe given the stakes of that fight, I truly think it would have been the biggest fight in UFC history had it, had it taken place. I agree. I agree. And it's a, and it's a damn shame that it's not. Um, I'll throw a, I'll throw a big one at you. Considering okay. Francis Ngannou. And what he has done and his numbers of social media, considering the fact he might be in the top 10 of the WBC. Okay. And, and considering and considering the back he got thrown by PFL. Okay. Is Francis Ngannou bigger than the UFC? Or at least is he opening himself up to potentially be bigger than the UFC? 1,000%, yeah. 
Yeah. As in he's opening himself up or or is this proving that he is? He's opening himself up to be bigger than the UFC, but he hasn't reached the level of Conor McGregor status just yet. Had he, had he won on Saturday, my, my opinion would have been different. Okay. Sure. Well, let me ask then. What else does he have to do? Is there a pay-per-view number, like in terms of buys, that he has to hit? Does he have to win a, a boxing heavyweight championship? Does he have to win some PFL title? What What in your mind is going to make you say Francis is bigger than the UFC? And that, as you kind of alluded to in that one piece of mine of yours that you showed me from your grad school days, that Francis Ngannou clears a path for people to say you don't need the UFC to be successful in combat sports. It's a very, it's a very good question. Um, I'm going to say if he fights Anthony Joshua, which is what Eddie Hearn wants to see down the line, and he knocks out Anthony Joshua, th- that would be what shows me that he's that he's made it to that level of of of, of superstardom. All right. So now let's talk about Zan, because I know we spent a lot of time on this, this whole episode on this, but let's talk about one more aspect to this. Sure, and okay. For, and for this, Zan, I bring up potentially this, our favorite thing, yet again, because, because of the performance of Fury and Nganu. Tyson Fury in his post-fight interview. Alexander Usyk was there. They got in the ring. And Frank Warren and Tyson Fury were a little sheepish about, you know, they were saying all night on commentary, if Tyson Fury won, which he did, Fury Usyk would be official for December 23rd. However, in the days since, and even in that post-fight interview, Fury and Warren are kind of implying now it won't happen until January, February. But Alexander Usyk says the undisputed heavyweight title fight must take place December 23rd. Well, this is Tyson Fury being a brilliant businessman. One thing that you failed to mention to me in the lead up to this topic is, do you remember the the the, the plethora of videos going around social media earlier this summer and earlier this spring of Tyson Fury literally calling Alexander Usyk out and saying, you better be... Either December 23rd, you who signed the contract saying that you're going to be there December 23rd. And now that Tyson Fury feels that he still has all the leverage, he feels that he can call the shots now. Um, yeah, I mean, I mean, I mean, I think a fight of that magnitude, a unification bout of that magnitude, there needs to be way more buildup for that. Um, it, 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 it shouldn't happen December 23rd, quite frankly. There needs to be a world tour for that. There needs to be a whole thing to promote that fight. That needs to be a three to four month buildup before that fight can actually take place. Because to me, it's disrespectful to Alexander Usyk. It's it's respectful to Tyson Fury, who just fought ten hard rounds against the former UFC heavyweight champion, and it's also disrespectful to the boxing community, who maybe gets one to two huge fights every 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 couple of years, and that's it. Okay, I understand that, but then. Tyson Fury, knowing he's fighting Francis Ngannou in October, why is it that one month before that fight, he agrees to fight Usyk on December 23rd then? It's a good question. It could that, be, was, he, it, was he looking past Ngannou? I, I it could very well be that or it could very be or it could very well be a money play that we don't that we don't know about. 
but once again, boxing seems to get in its own way. And I mean, I will say a little selfishly, and I did back then too, Zan, when we were first talking about it. I hope it's not December 23rd. I, I mean, you know, it sounds fun. You know, Christmas weekend could just relax and watch some fights. But I don't know if, if I want <laughs> if I want to do any work Christmas weekend after all the work I've been putting in this fall schooling semester in more than one way. Yeah, and quite frankly, I don't feel like I want to do much work either that weekend. So I hope it doesn't happen December 23rd either. But and, I agree, and, and, and I agree with you that, and I agree with you. An undisputed heavyweight title fight, the first time we're going to see, the first time Zan in the four alphabet organization era that we're going to see all four heavyweight titles unified. That that fight that deserves all the hype. Yeah, it needs to be all the hype. It needs to be all the build up. It needs to be, you know, a four leg press tour where you know. Uh, where, you know, uh, one press conference is in Ukraine, uh, one press conference is in the United Kingdom, one press conference is in Saudi Arabia, and, and press conference is in New York City. And it, 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 it needs to be the whole, it needs to be the whole pomp and circumstance. It needs to be treated like boxing Super Bowl. That's what, that's, that's what it needs now, to be treated as. Plain, plain Now, that being said, Zan, I kind of made allusion to this in the weeks, you know, leading up to this fight with Ngannou. Um, because we talked about earlier this month how the IBF made the ruling that whoever won that fight would have to fight Hergovic. Can Usyk, you talk about Fury having leverage, can Usyk, seeing Fury try to back away from it, say, okay, if you don't want to do this, I'll go fight my mandatory. I'll go fight Hergovic. But the question is, is, is Hergovic ready and actively in training to take the fight? That is That's true, too. But, Zan, I'll counter again. If Fury tries to delay this fight, could the IBF say, no, and now we're going to mandate this now? No. I mean, if they can make Tyson, if the WBC can make Tyson Fury versus Francis Ngannou, uh, the, the, the IBF, to me, has no business telling Tyson Fury, the baddest man on the planet, what to what to what to do. It can't. They can't. They it can't do that. Of course, this is coming from the guy who watches boxing do whatever boxing chooses to do. So they probably so they probably will do something along those lines. But what I can say is they shouldn't do that. Fair enough. All right, we spent a lot of time on that, Sam. Um, there is another big story that's developing that we have yet to talk about, however. Zan, after months of waiting, we thought we were going to get this news in August. It's been almost, it's almost, it is the end of October. Maybe even if you're watching us late, maybe even start of November. And Al Salino's latest update, as of this past Monday, I think he put this out Monday afternoon here on the East Coast of America. The PFL purchase of Bellator is official. The PFL will take over Bellator beginning in 2024. Bellator 301 in Chicago, which you will be attending, Zan, later uh, later on in a, about two or three in three weeks' time, will be the final Bellator under the Viacom uh, banner in the Scott Coker Viacom era. Uh, Bellator will not have a December card. Bellator 301 will be it, and then beginning in January or February, whenever that first Bellator 
of 2024 goes, uh, that that will be the first Bellator under the PFL banner. Yeah, I mean, I mean, this is one of those things where it just felt like it was inevitable that it was going to happen one way or another. It was just a matter of when. So it's nice to know that it's it's sort of, it's well. We still don't have, we still do not have an official press release from either promotion. But Alzalino has reported on it. Your buddy Cole Sheldon at DJPen.com has reported on it. So we are going to run with it. Yeah, so there's that. And then, of course, you have to give credit to Todd Atkins, too, who has done fine reporting on this story. Um, at least from the from the looks of the report, we know how it's going to work. Bellator is going to run for probably two years as its own separate promotion, and then all of those fighters are just going to dissolve into the PFL from there. Um, so, yeah, I mean, this is one of those situations where, you know, you don't really know what's going to happen. You don't really know what's going to happen to the Bellator roster. Um, the fate of the Grand Prix that's coming up. You you really you you really don't know much other than Bellator 301 is going to happen. And then even though this this purchase is official according to reports, you don't know what the future of any of those divisions is going to look like. And to me, I feel like it could end up being one of those UFC pride acquisitions where. Most of the pride fighters will go to the UFC, and and whoever's left will try will have to find other promotions. My, my my biggest question in this whole thing is, um, you know, you know, with this with this merger, and if Bellator is going to run separately, is Scott Coke or still going to be the president? I think I think everything is still just so in limbo that we don't really know what to mm-hmm. think at the moment. At least at least I don't. Um, and I would we, hope at the very we, least. And and me being a rankings panelist along with twenty four other media members, I I have no idea what this means from a from a media perspective either. I don't think I don't think anybody I don't think anybody knows. Yeah, I don't think uh, I don't think anybody knows either. I would hope at the very least for the rest of the uh, Bellator's run, Scott Coker would be the president. But I'm curious how the PFL would go with you know. The kind of Bellator, the kind of roster that Bellator has. I'm, I'm uh, really, I'm, I'm really curious because, you know, PFL doesn't have, for instance, it doesn't have a middleweight division. But could they add a middleweight division to its regular season format? Is there a chance that they could expand the super fight division or whatever into some sort of other division? Yeah, I mean, all of those things are all of those things are good questions, and I don't think a lot of it's going to come out until the sale is official. Official. And Dan, that's also not including something we forgot to put on the a little rundown here because of all the madness of the last few days. The PFL has already expanded one of its divisions, in that the PFL women are going to be their own promotion. Yeah, that to me is just bizarre. It, and you and I both know that there are various things that we like about the PFL, but this to me just seems very backwards. And I don't understand how, as I told you off the air and over text, this isn't Invicta FC, but what are we, what are we, what are we doing here? I mean, I, I mean, on one hand, I want to say I like it because, you know, 
because um, now we have another promotion like Invicta where it is an all-women's MMA and you have the backing of ESPN, a major you know, player in the television space. Yeah, it's but, not yeah, yeah, hidden but behind pipe ass. Wait, wait, wait. But on the other hand, I thought – on the other hand, I don't see – yeah, like the UFC has three women's divisions. Bellator has – two women's divisions, they integrate it just fine with their product. Okay, well, my counter-argument to that is can ESPN Linear afford to put on an all-email PFL card on regular ESPN with how many other sports they have to cover? Like, I just, I don't know if... Well, here's going to be, well, now here's going to be my sort of counter-concern to that. Can, is the, you know... We have the PFL women. We've only had the women's lightweight and women's featherweight divisions. Does this then imply that the PFL is going to grab a women's bantamweight division, a strawweight division, an atomweight division, and where are they going to get these fighters? My guess would be from Invicta or by attempting to sign fighters the UFC doesn't want. Or to or going to, you know, or signing fighters from Say one championship. uh one championship. one championship or some of the other Asian promotions or making some sort of um talent relationship with one of them. Mm-hmm. Which uh, I don't think which which I don't think um actually now that I think but I don't think the BFL and one championship would collaborate. Oh no, I'm not talking about I'm not talking about them. I'm talking about something like I know Ryzen has the has uh, the relationship with Bellator, but what about isn't Deep still around? Deep Jewels. Yeah, that sounds right. So there's uh, there are other promotions out there, maybe more regional L- style promotions. LFA. LFA, they could obviously scoop up from CFFC. C- they could scoop C- up C- from. C- like we even uh even uh APFC if they expand further. That's true too. All right. So it's gonna be interesting to see how this plays out. Like we said, we're still waiting from an official word from one of these two promotions or both of these promotions. Uh so we'll discuss that then. Uh, a couple other things, Dan. According to Jake Paul, Nate Diaz, we talked about this last week. Uh Jake Paul's promoter pretty much putting out that. You know, Jake Paul will not fight Nate Diaz in a rematch in the boxing ring December 15th, that these two will meet in the PFL at some point. Jake Paul now coming out over the past week and saying Nate Diaz had rejected such a fight. Don Davis even claiming on the MMA Hour with Ariel Hawani yesterday that he turned down about 10 or $15 million for this kind of fight. Yeah, um, knowing, knowing Nate Diaz... This is just my guess. He probably said something, and whoever whoever got a hold of it took it out of context. Because I don't think, knowing how much Nate likes money, I don't think he would turn down that kind of money to fight an MMA against the guy he knows he can beat in that in in in, in an MMA fight. To me, to me, Nate Diaz turning that down just doesn't make sense. Yeah, that's the thing. It doesn't really doesn't really make sense to me. You know, I thought. And, and considering, Sam, especially what the PFL has done, like we've been talking about as part of the show, that scooping up Nate Diaz, at least for a fight, especially a fight with Jake Paul, 
that would be an eye opener. I don't understand, you know, if this is $15 million, you know, what else Nate would want, especially considering Zan, if this fight happens, it has to happen in PFL because Dana has already gone on the record and saying Jake Paul is not welcome to the UFC. Right. And that, that will always be the case. So, yeah. Uh, speaking of the UFC, let's talk about the main event this weekend in Sao Paulo, Brazil. Jalton Almeida competing against Derek Lewis. Originally was supposed to be Curtis Blades. Blades suffers an injury, so Derek Lewis steps in on one month's notice. I think this was – he accepted the uh, short notice fight back at the beginning of the month. So here he is on one month's notice taking on a rising contender in Jalton Almeida. Zan, obviously Derek Lewis, y- you know, we love him in the MMA community. We love him for his memes. We love him for his one-liners. We love him for his attitude. Uh, he definitely still has the punching power. He's one of the best finishers the UFC heavyweights division has ever had. Jelton Almeida, I think, is too rising of a contender. I think he submits Lewis. Um, I have to disagree. I think Derek Lewis goes into Sao Paulo, and I think he does something crazy and I think he's going to catch Almeida shooting him for a takedown, and I actually think he's going to knock him out with a knee. I think he's going to go in and spoil the party. And the reason why I say that is because Derek Lewis has been in these situations before where he's been Mr. Apex. Well, granted, this fight's not at the UFC Apex, but he's been Mr. Apex, and he's taken these short-notice fights before, and he's done well. And I think the trend is going to continue because he knows that his back is against the wall, and he struggled over the last year or so. And he knows that he needs a win right now more than anybody in the heavyweight division. I, so I'm gonna, I, I, I'm, I know. I'm gonna take him. I, I know. I would love to see Lewis get a win, but I, I'm just worried about the kind of talent you know that Almeida has, especially competing in Brazil. Uh, yeah. So that's why I'm kind of leaning to Almeida. It would be cool if Lewis did something like knock him out with a knee. Oh, by the way, San. Don't you worry. We have Sao Paulo this week. We got Madison Square Garden next week. But the week after that, you're going to get your Apex, Phil. We're going to go back to the Apex. Yeah, that's true. We're going to we're gonna go back to the Apex the night after Bellator's in Chicago, which is funny. To think about. Yeah. Sam, I was mentioning the boxing before. I was trying to say, and I forgot. The day before Bellator's, uh, Bellator 301, the for a Thursday card, Shakur Stevenson is fighting for the vacant WBC, I think, lightweight title. They're putting it on a Thursday for some reason. Yeah, that'll be that'll be a that'll be a good one. It'll be a nice uh, kickstart. Um, uh, if, if you're if you're in Vegas that weekend, that'll be a nice kickstart if you're a boxing fan and who doesn't love watching Shakur Stevenson fight, no matter what, um, what no matter. What, a day of the week it is, and I'm still holding out hope that he fights Devin Haney one day. So hopefully, hopefully he performs well. That I think that I think Zan is the hope at this point for lightweight is to see something like Stevenson versus Haney. Absolutely. All right, that is going to do it for this edition of the MMA Outsiders Packed Edition. Lot to talk about, especially revolving around Fury and Ganu. We thank you for tuning in and joining in on the fun. Make sure to hit the like button, subscribe, hit the notification bell so you get notified of everything here at the Empty the Bench Network. Every episode of the MMA Outsiders, every episode of Football Friday, which uh, Zan, you're a part of, and I make occasional appearances on. uh, Empty the Bench, uh, ETB Sports, and so much more. Again, to my left, gotta get used to it, to my left, 
is Zambando, staff writer for BJPen.com and MMA Knockout Fan Nation, uh, Bellator Rankings Committee member for at least for now. We'll see if that stays around in the PFL-owned uh, Bellator era. And you can follow him on social media at Zambando99. I am Tom Aldano. You can find my work over at Fansided MMA and as a contributor to the PFL website for their live events. PFL Championships coming up at the end of the month on Black Friday. I cannot wait for that. Uh, and you can follow me on social media at Thomas J. Albano. Make sure to take MMA Outsiders on the road with you. If you don't want to see Zen and I's ugly faces, you can follow, listen to us on ACAST and other audio-only platforms. If you are listening on those audio-only platforms, make sure to come to our base home of YouTube and hit that subscribe button. We're approaching 600 subscribers here on the Empty the Bench Network. And don't forget to go to etbpodcast.com for more information about the Empty the Bench Network as well as blogs from some of our contributors, including ETB hosts. San, next week, it's to, time to preview the garden card. It's definitely suffered a big blow, but it is a UFC pay-per-view. Yeah, it is a UFC pay-per-view for sure, and uh, the, it also means that we'll reach another milestone of uh, 60 episodes, so pre-congratulations to us and a pat on the back, and that also means we will only be five UFC pay-per-views away for um, the covered a big one, UFC 300, which is tentatively supposed to take place in April 2024 in Las Vegas. So we'll have a lot more exciting. And tentatively, tentatively scheduled main event of Conor McGregor, Michael Chandler. We can only, we can only, we, we can only, we, we, we can only hope and pray to the MMA gods at this point that that happens. Because as you alluded to, if it doesn't happen in April, it probably will never happen. So. With, mm-hmm. uh, with that, that has been the MMA Outsiders. He's Tom, I'm Zan, and we will see you right back here next week in a brand new month. It will be November the next time we meet. So for both of us, enjoy your Halloween. Enjoy the fights this weekend. Read Pfeiffer and uh, brace yourselves because November and December is going to be busy whether you like it or not. Absolutely. And if any of you are being Joe Pfeiffer for Halloween, please uh, tweet us out that photo. So that way we can uh, we can post it across social media. We want to see some of your UFC, MMA, boxing related uh, Halloween costumes. Absolutely, yeah. If you are if if, if you are Virgil Piper, I'm very curious to see what your costume is going to look like because uh, I think you could do multiple different variations and it would still count. <laughs> True. All right, for Santa Tom. See you next week. Take care, everyone. Take care.